Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 167, and I'm talking with my friend, Kristen Sruer. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Koros Global. I've been wearing a Koros watch, the Apex specifically, for a few months, and I love it. I use it when I swim, when I run, and when I bike. Recently, I've been swimming once a week, and I love that it counts my laps. And one thing this watch is known for is its extremely long battery life. It is also known to be very accurate. And guess what? Runner's World Magazine just picked it for an Editor's Choice Award, the Coros Apex, which is the one that I use. You guys, if you are in the market for a new watch or you want to buy a gift for someone that's looking for a new watch, you can use the code ANOTHER to get 10% off your purchase. Just go to coros.com and at checkout, use the code ANOTHER. Links to that will also be in my show notes at lindsayhine.com. All right, you guys, I've wanted to have my friend Kristen on the podcast for quite some time now. She has been in my life for, gosh, it's probably been three years. And ever since I got to know her story a little bit, I knew that she would be a phenomenal interview for this podcast. Kristen works for the Special Olympics and is doing some really cool things around the world. She's married to George, who is also doing some really cool things around the world, and they have a son, Gabe, who's two years old. In this episode, Kristen and I get to talk about her career and what that looked like leading up to working for the Special Olympics, what some of her passions are, why she's so passionate about working for the Special Olympics, and what her relationship with her husband, George, looks like. We had so much fun, got to do this interview in person, which I don't get to do very often. So I'm just excited to share with you guys Kristen's story and the light that she brings into my life. I I hope to share that light with you guys as well today in this conversation. Hey, if you're loving the show and you haven't done so already, grab your phone right now and leave a rating and review if you can. That is one of the best ways I can reach more listeners. And that's what I'm continuing to try to do every single week. So pause, hit pause and grab your phone and go do that. That would be awesome. It literally takes two minutes. All right, guys, I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. Please enjoy my conversation with my friend, Kristen. Today on the show, I am so excited to have my very good friend, Kristen Sruer on the show. Welcome to All Have Another, Kristen. Thanks, Lindsay. I am so excited to be here and it's been fun following your podcast and to be a guest. I'm just totally honored to be on here. Well, you've kind of seen the podcast grow because we became friends right, right when I, like soon after I had launched, I think. It was pretty brand new in my life when we became friends. Yeah, it was. So I've wanted to have you on the show for a very long time. And I'm so thankful that our friend Emily Reddington connected us. And sometimes I look at this group of people that I'm surrounded with when this group that I'm talking about gets together. I'm like, how did I get to be friends with these people? They're doing such cool things. I wonder the same thing. (laughs) So Kristen, um, tell us a little bit about your life. You grew up with a uh, dad that was in the military and you have four siblings, three siblings. Three siblings. Yeah. My dad was in the army. He is a West Pointer and he was in the army for 25 years. So we moved a few times when I was really young and then basically settled in the DC area in Arlington, Virginia, which is where I went to grade school and high school and my parents still live. And I am the oldest of four siblings. And so I definitely have all the oldest sibling tendencies (laughs) um, for sure in the way that our family birth order works well. Um, My 
one of my brothers lives in New York City, the other lives in Atlanta, and then my sister Megan, um, who is a really important person in my life, um, she lives at home with my parents, and I can share a little bit about that later, but she is a Special Olympics athlete and has been really an inspiration um, for my whole life. Well, and Kristen works for the Special Olympics and has the coolest job in the world. So we can get right into that. Tell everybody what your job is and exactly what you do. Sure. So I am the director of Global Community Health Programs at Special Olympics International, which is based out of Washington, D.C., and I am currently living in Indianapolis, and I've been here for about four years, so I've been working remotely. And I am overseeing our community health programming that is working to increase access to health care and health services for people with intellectual disabilities, which is one of the most, if not the most, marginalized and vulnerable populations across the globe. And, you know, many people think that if you have a disability, that there's all these services and access points for you, both within the U.S. and outside the U.S., and that is very much not the case um, in in developed countries and in developing countries. Yeah, I actually, um, side note, have a family member who has an intellectual disability, and they have had so many struggles just getting getting care for her because technically she doesn't qualify for this or that, but she really can't work a full-time job and she's an adult now. And so she'll be living with my aunt and uncle for the rest of her life probably as well. Um, but yeah, I didn't realize until I saw it up front and saw my mom kind of working with my aunt on this, how tough it really is, even in the United States. Yeah, there's a lot of challenges with Medicaid and the services. Every It's different state by state here in the U.S. in terms of how the services work, how the coordinated care works for a person with disabilities. And then there's a, a compounding factor related to the work part that you mentioned, that a person that is receiving disability benefits can't make over a certain mm. amount of money, nor can they have a certain dollar amount in their bank account. Um, or else they lose those services. And if they lose those services, then they often lose access to everything. And so we're not really setting up people with disabilities for success here or for long-term planning um, by having a system that's structured like this. So through Special Mixed Health Program, we are really working on the, the advocacy piece, figuring out how we can um, help people with intellectual disabilities, one, navigate the system, have opportunities for prevention, programming. You know, some people with intellectual disabilities may live in a group home setting, and so how can we empower them to um, make some of their own choices or to be put in situations where they can lead the healthiest lives? Okay, so tell us about some of the things that you're doing worldwide, because you say Special Olympics International, and since I've known you, you've been to like Singapore, you're about to go to Abu Dhabi, you've been, I can't even name all of the places you've been in the two years that we have been friends. So what are you doing when you're going to these other countries, uh, fulfilling the mission of Special Olympics? Yeah, so it... Basically, in each country, we're working on creating these community programs. And so that is, that's a number of different layers of what we're doing. So we are educating community members. So an example, a couple years back, I did a couple trips to Malawi, where we were working um, in a community called Salima. And there, we were working with chiefs of villages to basically... 
um, break down stigma and help them with children um, and members of their community who have intellectual disabilities. We, what, what happened there, and this happens unfortunately in a lot of countries, is um, we, our Special Olympics um, team on the ground in Malawi found a boy that was tied to a tree mm. outside of his family's um, home. And um, he has an intellectual disability. And he was tied, his parents were not trying to harm him. It was more for protection. Mm. So they had to go out and work in the field during the day. And so he was not accepted within the community. They didn't have a place for him. So they tied him up so that they could go work. So he couldn't like get into trouble or like hurt himself. Yep, exactly. And so when they discovered him, you know, we, we realized there's just this larger problem. So then we, and the chiefs there, um, it's a tribal community, um, and are the leadership within a village. And so really working with them as the starting point saying, you have people in your community that are not being included, that have disabilities, that um, have contributions they can bring to the community. And so they, they really are entry points. So then from there, we were meeting with family members. We were providing education. You know, the next level of what happens is, a, is that because of stigma, there's kind of cultural norms of, well, if you, if you have a child that has a disability, it means that they have some sort of curse or mm. witchcraft. And so they're often taken to a witch doctor instead of a regular clinic or to see a community health worker there. And so some of it was also just educating the family members. And again, it wasn't out of harm. They just thought that that's what they were supposed to do. So that'll be one layer of it. And then we work with different... Um, nonprofits, with ministries of health, with governmental services that are provided in communities to say, what are you doing to be inclusive? How can we help you make sure that this population um, has access to what you're providing? And so sometimes it's taking a look at what kind of programming they have. Could that be adapted or understood by a person with intellectual disabilities? Sometimes it's just the awareness. It's, oh, well, we didn't realize that that we needed to provide access to this population or that they even existed in this community. Man, because, you know, we see the Special Olympics here in the United States. And, you know, my mom is a volunteer. She um, she does volleyball. She goes to these swim meets. She, she was actually, I have to brag on her, she was recognized for Volunteer of the Year in Bloomington. Which that's later, a huge deal. See, later I thought I said that to her. I was like, Mom, I think that's a really big yes, deal. Yes, it's a huge deal. Yeah, so... Um, I didn't realize until I learned more about what you did internationally, how big the Special Olympics really is worldwide. I didn't even, I actually, this is embarrassing. I don't think I even knew it was outside of the U.S. before I knew you. You know, a lot of people don't and, and they have the same, um, impression of Special Olympics as you do, which is a beautiful and wonderful one. Um, but knowing our reach across the world, I mean, I think that's one thing that I is so, I love so much about my job is. Special Olympics is this family. Mm-hmm. And so anywhere in the world I go, there I have a family member, right? So I can go to another country and show up, even if I'm on vacation, and reach out to the Special Olympics team there and am welcomed by them because we really are in every corner of the world. We're in a, over 170 countries. Wow. How many countries are there? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's Do like you? two, three. 35, but please don't quote me on that. (laughs) Well, I can ask you that because you've literally traveled the world on your honeymoon and we'll get to that. 
And I feel like on this podcast, I can ask the stupid questions because, well, first, someone will tell me no question is stupid. But somebody out there, when you said 176 question, countries, somebody out there was thinking, how many countries are there? I know. I we can't should really look this one. up. Can we put that in the show notes? Yeah. The number of, okay. of countries there are in the world. <laughs> we can do that. Um, all right. So tell everybody, Kristen, uh, why the Special Olympics is so meaningful full to you. You mentioned your sister, Megan. Yeah. So, um, you know, before I got to Special Olympics, I, I had a really, um, some amazing career opportunities. And so those have all sort of led me to getting there. Um, when I first graduated college, I ended up on the 2004 presidential campaign, um, which ultimately, um, led to an opportunity for me to work at the White House, um, and from there, I then moved over to the State Department and worked on the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, which is um, really a, the, a huge legacy of President Bush's um, presidency and is still going strong today. Um, so I, I always had a kind of international um, health interest. And then I, I went to Notre Dame to get my MBA. Um, and when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next, I Special Olympics just really floated to the top of my interests. And, um, you know, I had been a coach for my sister's Special Olympics basketball and soccer teams for a number of years when I was living in the D.C. area again after school and just was really inspired by that. And so... When I was trying to figure out what was next, I pretty much stalked Special Olympics and tried to figure out how I could get them to hire me. And um, fortunately, they took a they took a chance on me, and um, I started there. Actually, almost exactly eight years ago. So, what's Megan's intellectual disability? Yeah, so she has um, something called trisomy eighteen. She is a partial mosaic, which means it doesn't impact. Um, all of her chromosomes. Um, she is kind of a special case because um, anybody familiar with trisomy 18, um, often people don't live very long, sometimes merely hours, if that. Um, so, and it was not discovered till she was about 18 months old. Oh, really? And where she was just um, developmentally um was not functioning at the same level as um, her older siblings. And so that sort of brought some questions to my parents. And this was before a lot of these genetic tests occurred. And so at that point, they started testing for her. Um, and that's where they found that. And she is, um, you know, she's really socially amazing. And she holds a full-time job. Where and does she work? She works at a daycare at Easter Seals. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it's a really special place in that they employ and serve both people with and without intellectual dis or disabilities in general. So it is um, on both sides. So ch she has children in her class. She's a, she works at the daycare. She has children um, in her class that have disabilities okay. and some that don't. And then same thing with the employees. So it's a really... Um, it's a really nice inclusive model and she just has a gift for children. I mean, she, um, she's just amazing with them and she really, um, you know, she has spent her life facing adversity and persevering and has come so far 
And um, I just, I'm really inspired by her. And I'm inspired really also by my parents. Yeah. Um, they are probably the two most selfless people I know and that have given their lives to making sure all of their children have wings um, to grow. And, um, but in particular, Meg, that she can really grow um, to her fullest potential. Why does that make, I think because I have so many little kids, it makes me feel emotional. Yeah. You know, just to think about the love that if one of your children had a disability and probably lots of people listening, there's probably a handful of people who have children with disabilities. Mm -hmm. It just, it makes me emotional thinking of how much I would want to give that child an equal opportunity as all my other kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I always say that, so now I am a mother and I'm like, if I can just be a quarter of the mom that my mom is, then that is success. Yeah. One of the questions I was going to ask you, uh, had to do with your parents. You know, your dad was gone a lot. Your mom had all four of you at home. Um, and you know, those kind of things and watching your parents, uh, parent you guys, all four of you, including Megan, uh, that really shapes the person that you become as an adult. So how do you think watching your mom and dad, mother and father you, how has that shaped you? Well, first of all, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how you do it with four kids. I <laughs> Babysitters. <needed> my- <laughs> your, your mom didn't have babysitters. She was home full time. Yeah, so she worked up until I was in about third grade. Okay. So that's a little bit different. And my dad at that point was deployed to Desert Storm. So he was gone for about a year. Actually, my one of my most me, um, visual, memorable childhood moments was my dad telling me in third grade that he was going to have to go away. I re- we were at my elementary school. I was really nerdy. So I was taking this <laughs> advanced math class and that you, you had to do with your parents in the morning. And so you went before school, went to math class. So it was after the class. I remember the exact stare we sat on at my elementary mm. school where he told me. Um, and you're the oldest. I'm the oldest. And, you know, he said, you know, you like you have to be brave for your mom and you have to be brave for your siblings. So, you know, he he gave me a journal. So I would write in the journal for him. And then we picked a star. And so whenever I missed him, it was the the left star on Orion's belt um, that I could look at the star. And then back then, you know, Skype and FaceTime and all these things were not so different. Right. So we would, there were these little cassette recorders. So I would record him messages or like tell him about my day and then we'd mail them and then he'd send them back. And then, you know, we had one of those big um, video cameras. And so we would make shows for him and my mom would send them in the mail. And so it's, it's that year of my life is very vivid. The year before and the year after are not to that level um, of vividness for me. That's crazy how that happens. Yeah. Um, I, my sister's husband, he's not in the military, but he works overseas and those kids FaceTime him like every day, you know, know. it's just, the it's times a different have changed. World now. I remember being, did you say he was in desert storm? Mm-hmm. I remember being in second grade and writing our class with like write letters to the soldiers over there. That's awesome. Yeah. So maybe your dad maybe, got one of my letters. I hope he did. Why am I so emotional today? <laughs> I think female hormones are like kicking in, but you got me all kinds of <laughs> emotional 
I want to jump in for a quick break to thank one of our sponsors for this episode, and that is Lily Trotters. I'm a huge fan of Lily Trotters compression socks. I'm a huge fan of their business model. You guys, this compression sock is cute, it's comfortable, and it does the job. This is a women-owned company, and I put on my Lily Trotters. I actually ran 14 miles on the treadmill yesterday. Don't even ask me why I did it on the treadmill and not outside, but I did. And as soon as I got off that treadmill, I threw on my compression socks. And I can honestly say, I think that it has aided in my recovery today. 14 miles is really long for me right now. So that was a big deal. I am so excited to be partnering with this company once again in 2019 and hope that you will consider trying them out if you haven't already done so. Seriously, my favorite compression sock. So you guys can go to lilytrotters.com or go to the show notes on my website and use the code ANOTHER for a 25% discount on their socks. Don't delay. This is a great deal. And I'm looking at their website right now, you guys, and they have some really cute St. Patrick's Day socks. So you should definitely go grab those before St. Patrick's Day so you can look all cute at whatever run you're going to do on St. Patrick's Day. So that's lilytrotters.com, L-I-L-Y trotters.com. And use that code ANOTHER for 25% off your order. Links to that will be in the show notes at lindsayhine.com. Hey, if you guys are enjoying this content, there is more bonus content over on my Patreon page, patreon.com slash lindsayhine. And I dropped a pretty big bomb on the Patreon page last week that a few people have messaged me that they're excited about. But uh, you'll have to support over there if you want to know that news that I shared. It's it's pretty exciting and I can't wait to share it with everybody else, but that's not going to happen for another month or so. So patreon.com slash Lindsay Hine. There are also episodes from past guests. There's an extra 15 minutes with my most rec- one of my most recent guests, Shalane Flanagan over there. And then I do episodes with Glenn, my husband as well. Lots of content over there. For as little as 3 or $5 a month, that's patreon.com slash lindsayhine. And that is just one way you can help support my work behind this podcast and bringing you this show every single week. All right, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Kristen Sruer. All right, so Kristen, tell us when you were a little girl, when you were sitting on the stairs with your dad and doing your thing. What did you dream about being when you grew up? I went through two phases. The first one was to be the first woman president. Ooh. That's, and that, I think that's due to some of my parents just trying to give us wings and empowering us. And do you still want to do that? No way. (laughs) No way. Um, and the second, and then I eventually wanted to become a doctor. Okay. So, I ended up in the health field mostly for my career, except, and and part of it is because I failed organic chemistry in undergrad. So I was pre-med. I I was going to go. You did? Yeah. It's the only class I ever failed. I'm surprised you failed anything. Oh, I could not figure out how the carbons connected together. I mean, I remember calling my parents at like 2 a.m. before my, so either my midterm or my final in tears. And I'm like, I don't understand the carbons. And my parents like, okay, you need to take a deep breath and go have a beer afterwards. (laughs) Now, if it was one of my brothers, they might tell him to study harder, but they knew that I had already put enough pressure on myself. Yeah. But yeah, I couldn't figure it out. So that sort of... Did you retake it? I did not at that point. You know, I thought about 
later doing one of those year year long programs where you take all the prereqs because I had already done a bunch of the prereqs at that point. Um, and life just had a different um, path for me. I think organic chemistry is one of the, if not the most failed class at, in like college. That's probably right. I mean, I made that up, but <laughs> I heard those rumors when I'm I was I'm pretty in sure school. there's a stat. But then you ask every doctor and they're like, you don't need organic chemistry to be a doctor. Right. Why do you need it? I don't know. I don't know. If you're a doctor and you're listening, let us know. Right. <laughs> or a dietitian. You have to have it for it to be a dietitian. Oh, okay. Too. Yeah. That's why I was that taking it. That would make sense. So yeah. then what did you do? Um, well, I never got an internship because my grades were so bad. And so I just moved on with my life. I was a receptionist for a while at the IMA. And then I... I uh, worked at a nonprofit here in Indianapolis downtown. Okay. On the Near East Side. And it was like super crazy and wild and scary for me coming from Bloomington because I was working on the Near East Side of Indy and literally would see like prostitutes walking on the street and drug deals going on left and right. And I, it was a culture shock for me. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Going from Bloomington to, to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it was just, it's just like right outside our door here in Indy that you, you know, a lot of people don't even realize that's going on. Um, but yeah, so I worked down there and then worked at back of my feet. Okay. Yeah. Until I kind of see there's another path for you as there well. There was. Yeah. yeah. And I actually, I think that it looking at, you know, it's at the time and I don't know if you felt the same way. I was like devastated that I wasn't going to be a dietitian and not to say that I couldn't have still gone back and, and done those things and retaken those classes and fulfilled that dream at 28 or 30. But I just, I don't think that that's what I was supposed to do. Yeah. Did you feel the same way? I think eventually I got there, but failure was a hard thing to stomach. Mm. So how'd you get over that? I, you know, I think I just ended up with a couple of really exciting professional opportunities really young. What was your degree then? I had a major in international relations and a minor in biology. Okay. Yeah. You didn't get the full major in biology because no. of the organic chemistry. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I ever really wanted that full major anyway. <laughs> so yeah. So I think I had enough of a, a realization that maybe that wasn't the right path for me. Okay. So before we turn the corner off of career, uh, tell me one of the coolest things that ever happened while you were working in the White House. Oh. Or one of the coolest opportunities that arised. So I think it's a really amazing place to work. I mean, you really are in the people's house and it is such a privilege to serve there. And I mean, walking through the gate every day, it was almost like this pinch me moment. And so we, you know, I think that one of the things that I did was press advance. And so what that meant was that I would go ahead of the president and work with the media and the press corps to get them all set up to cover the events. And so I got to travel to a number of countries doing that. Um, how about I share one funny story Wait, with you? Wait, did you ever get to go on Air Force One? I have been on Air Force One. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And we'll talk about this later, but you and I are both nervous flyers. Were you nervous when you were on Air Force One? Or were you like, I have to be safe. I'm on Air Force One. Yeah, I guess you feel a little safer okay. <laughs> there. But flying in general, I am very, I'm a very nervous flyer. Which will go there because it's crazy. You travel around the world. <laughs> but go on with your story. Okay. So I think maybe one of the funnier stories was we were in uh, Rome and the president was meeting with Berlusconi. And so we were setting up a, a joint press conference. And so in there, we were, um, 
you know, you're there a couple of days before. And so the press person from the Italian side was a man much older than I was. You know, I was in my early 20s and given these tasks of what I need to direct people to do. And and then this man that was probably closer to my dad's age was my counterpart. And he definitely didn't like seeing that I was the counterpart. Mm. Like you guys were equals. We were equals in this situation. Okay. And so there are certain international protocols on how you set up a joint press conference like that. And he wasn't following those there. And so the day that the president was supposed to arrive, we had everything set up and he had not really followed what we had made all these plans in advance and said, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And then those were not set up that way. So he was so upset with me that he kicked me out of the press conference. Was he, he allowed to do that? And he moved everything. And so we had this uh, videographer from CNN who I had to basically send in to do recon and figure out, okay, is everything set up correctly? And, um, and you know, it eventually, it worked out. And so once the, the delegation from the White House arrived um, to the to the prime minister's home, I was able to sneak back into the press conference with them. Can you tell me if there was retaliation? Like, did your boss, I mean, did this guy get like in trouble for that? You know, once the event happens, it's, it's done. That know? is crazy. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Talk about, I feel like that's like majorly like sexist that he did that. Yeah. Maybe not, but I think there was some sexism in there. Yeah. yeah. Ew. I don't like him. Is he still hanging around? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. You so have to ask the Italians. <laughs> so was he, wait, okay. So he was Italian. Yes. Yeah, so you have a counterpart on the, the, the foreign government okay, side. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. We have to talk about this flying thing because I have tried so hard to overcome my fear of flying. Um, I get severe anxiety. Actually, flying back from Florida just a couple weeks ago, I was with uh, two of our friends and I just had this like in my neck, just, I just had all this anxiety just like piling up. And I don't even think I realized that's what it was until I got home. Uh, but man, I think it's big for me to fly to like New York city or Florida and you're flying to Abu Dhabi <laughs> and all over the world. So how do you, how do you get through that? Cause I, it sounds like based on our conversations that your anxiety and fear of it is is just as strong as my own. Yeah. I think my fear is always if something bad will happen. Right. Which is, I think, a horrible way to look at life. I mean, my husband, George, there, I don't think anything, he's not fearful of anything. Tell I feel like. Tell everybody what George did when the first flight to London or whatever. Oh, sure. Yeah. So my husband loves airplanes, airplane <laughs> travel. If you look up in the sky in Indianapolis at any hour and you see a plane flying over, he can tell you what airline, really? where the plane is coming from. Because of the direction they're flying in. I, I don't know. I mean, he's got a whole app that helps him track, but he just knows how all the, the plane travels. So Indianapolis got a direct flight to Paris last May. Which is awesome. It's amazing. And he was so excited about it that he was like, I am going to be on that first flight because this is such a cool thing to come to Indianapolis. So he doesn't have any fear of flying for sure and really of most other things in life. So I get to carry all the fear and anxiety in our relationship, I guess. That's so good, though, to be married to someone with that outlook when you're someone who has that uh, 
issue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that, you know, yeah. So mine's always like, is something bad going to happen? Of and, course. Um, I used to get on a plane and try to put myself to sleep mm-hmm. so that I can then just like forget about it. I'm, I, in the last couple of years, I haven't been as successful in that. So I've always wondered how you did that though. Cause I could, I've, I'm so wired and like high strung and yeah. anxious that I'm like, there's no way I can sleep right now. I don't know how I was able to do that. I can't, I feel like I can't do that anymore, but some of it is also, okay. Thinking about, all right, whatever's on the other end of this is something that is going to take me out of my comfort zone. Mm. Right. And so if you can get over your fear, what is on the other side of that? What experience can you have? What, what can your eyes be open to? So I think it's thinking about that. Yes. Think about all of the opportunities. I mean, geez, think about all the opportunities you would have missed out on if you were like, this job's not for me because of my fear of flying. Like I can't do this job because I can't will myself to get on this plane every time we go somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all those experiences gone. Yeah, man. I, you know, and, and it's just such a smaller scale the way I think about it because I'm not traveling around the world. Uh, but there is a lot of empowerment when you do it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the things that I have had the privilege in my life to see and experience and do, um, as a result of getting on that airplane or having a door open for me, um, I wouldn't be who I am today. Okay. So we broached George, your husband. Yes. You have to tell everybody the story who, by the way, you guys listening, if you are like, where's the running talk? (laughs) Uh, Kristen is a runner and her husband, George actually just completed his first full marathon, but tell everybody the story of how you and George met because I love it so much. Okay, sure. So George and I met in Athens, Greece in 2011. I was there. I had just started my job at Special Olympics after I finished business school. And we were every other year for Special Olympics, we have an international competition. So this was our world summer games. And George was a volunteer um, for the USA delegation competing in our world games. Um, He was their tennis coach. And so a funny turn of events um, happened and I was responsible for running a press conference that we were having with Dikembe Mutombo. Um, he's a professional basketball player that, you know, does the fing- finger wag and Michelle Kwan, um, figure skating Olympian. And they were doing a, a joint press conference with some of our athletes. So one of my colleagues was supposed to bring everybody to the green room to prep for the press conference. And um, somebody else was supposed to originally emcee the press conference. They got called in to do something else. So then I was the backup and I was like three weeks on this job. So (laughs) I had no idea what the talking points were. And so about five minutes before I arrived, I found out I was also emceeing and prepping everybody. So my colleague who was supposed to bring me our special mix athletes, um, to be on the press conference got tied up. So they sent their coach, George, George. And so I'm basically pacing in the back of the screen room, trying to read everybody's bios, figure out what in the world am I going to say? And, you know, there's these celebrities here. And so he brings his athletes to me and kind of gives me some background on them, which made me even more nervous. And so everything ends up going 
just fine. And um, after the press conference, we were chatting a little bit. And um, George runs an organization called Building Tomorrow. And they build schools and run a fellowship program in Uganda. And first of all, like, that's the coolest thing ever to hear some very handsome man tell you that who's only like what 30 at the time if that. yeah right who's who's also volunteering for special olympics yeah like yeah right and so but what was also funny about that is i had just spent um when i was in graduate school i did a project in uganda so about three months earlier i had been in uganda so we had this kind of nice connection point George also went to William and Mary, which is a school in Virginia, a college in Virginia. And so we ended up having some overlapping people that we knew um, from that. So, you know, we leave this press conference. He took my business card and wrote me this one liner that was like, great to meet you. Keep in touch. Oh. And but nothing, you know. So I don't know why I even wrote him back. You did. But I did. And so we kind of went back and forth on email during the time that we were in Greece. Oh, you were both still in Greece. We were both still in Greece. We, I went to see some of his athletes compete in tennis once, and he was really sick that day. And so he was kind of like a, like kind of lame, you know, Mm. he was, but he wasn't feeling well. And so, um, then as the, the time went on, we kept emailing back and forth and, um, I don't know, I think both of our interests were peaked. Nothing happened there. Um, but we, we, we stayed in touch. And then when we got back to the States and so, oh, also it's important to mention that I was living in Washington, DC and George was living in Indianapolis. Yes. So I didn't really honestly think all that much of it, but there was, there was some sort of connection there. So when we got back to the States, we started talking on the phone like hours at night like you were a teenager in oh, high yeah. school. Oh, yeah. And a couple weeks later, he, um, his family is from Lebanon. And so he was coming back from a trip visiting them in Lebanon. And he was coming back through D.C. He told me he had a meeting in D.C. It's unclear if that was true <laughs> or not. But we went to dinner and... It was funny. We went to dinner and before we went to dinner, we had sort of said, it feels like we've already been on 15 dates because uh-huh. we had talked so much and we knew so much and about each other. And you said dates, like you were acknowledging that it was a date. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was a date. And yeah, the rest is history. I mean, there was, we just had this instant connection. People talk about, oh, that's serendipitous. And I don't even know if I believe in serendipitous or jinxing and, you know, I don't know how everything works, but I have to say it sounds serendipitous that you met him and he like what are the odds that he volunteers not only volunteers for the special olympics but is like the delegate and goes to athens greece as a volunteer like that's not something very many people do no no um i didn't want george to hijack the conversation too much because he deserves his own interview in itself he does he's he's a pretty he's an i mean i'm biased of course but he's a pretty amazing guy yeah but one more George related thing. Well, I actually have two more George related things. Um, and I don't know about you, but I have, I enjoy talking about my husband. I think it's fun. Yeah, sure. I love talking about George. I can brag on him all day. (laughs) Um, he founded this organization at what age? It was right after college. So he was like 23. Yeah. And he was just, I mean, I just, I mean, I have to ask him all the questions, Yeah. but like, I just can't wrap my head around 
not just being that motivated, but knowing what to do, you know, like I want to do this, but I mean, tell everybody how many schools he's actually has and like how many graduates through his program. Cause it's, it's not this rinky dink little small nonprofit. Yeah. They just opened their 75th school in Uganda in January, which I had the opportunity to see. And I should mention also that particular school that they opened was an inclusive school. So it's oh, going to cool. serve children with and without disabilities. So Did that you was have really a voice special. In that? Uh, not really. It's, okay. it's definitely a connection. It's something that he's passionate about, obviously. Sure. And um, they received some funding from the uh, Kennedy Foundation to build some inclusive schools and to really look at inclusive education. And George's was super excited about that oh, opportunity. That's so cool. So 75 schools. Yeah. And they've put over a hundred thousand kids in school. That's crazy. And, and talk about the community aspect because that's one thing I think is so cool about the people in the community who are actually doing the teaching and, and all that. Yeah. So I hope I don't screw this up too much. I'll <laughs> let George give the, pro- sure. all and the then proper we'll move details. On. George, you don't get all this. No, it's, um, but so they have a really sustainable model in that they, so they do an assessment within a community. So maybe a community will come to them and say, we want to have a school. His team on the ground in Kampala in Uganda will then go out to the field. They'll assess, okay, what's the distance from other, they build primary schools. What's the distance from another primary school? So they have a certain range in which they'll build one. And then the community is investing 20,000 hours of labor to helping construct the school. Like they have to commit to that prior. Yeah. Okay. And and somebody and they have to the land has to get donated as okay. well. So there's very much this this community investment. And you know, if you're investing in something, you're gonna utilize it more or hopefully utilize it to its fullest potential. And then they have a partnership with the government who places teachers in the schools. So tr- teachers that have been trained um, will then be placed in the schools. And then the next layer is that they have built this incredible fellows program where they are hiring Ugandan university graduates. And there is a staggering level of unemployment for university graduates in Uganda. Um, so they're kind of addressing this one issue there, oh, yeah. placing them within these communities to manage a network of schools, to help bring out of school children into school to um, figure out how to um, improve the quality of education. So helping teachers um, teach better and to identify strengths within children and how they can um, teach them so that they're actually going to grow and learn and pass their exams. Um, So it's, it's really amazing. So I, all these years with George, I actually had not been to Uganda until this past January and really, yeah, I don't think I knew that this was your first time. Yeah. Yeah. It was my first time seeing their work really? there. And I've always known it's amazing, but when you see on the ground, how many lives they have impacted and how these communities are truly transformed, it's, it's remarkable, man. I have so many questions, but I will save them for George because <laughs> I know that people are going to say, I want to hear more about this. It's so cool. Um, now aside from all of this, you guys are both traveling a lot. You both have very demanding jobs and you have Gabe who is two. Yeah. So talk about being a career focused person who didn't have a child till you were 36. Were you 36? Yeah. Yeah. 
um, which is kind of turning to be a little more of the norm these days. It's, it's not that old. Don't be offended. Anybody listening. Yeah. But you definitely had a big focus on career and still do. So how do you balance all that? And how do you, it's gotta be hard to travel and be away from Gabe. Oh, it's so hard. Well, Gabe is the joy of our life. He is so funny and so much fun. And he, he's just changed both of us. And yeah, we, you know, I got married when I was 33. So, um, I always thought, you know, my mom had four kids. I have four, I'll have four kids. I don't think that's in the cards for me. Um, and yeah, I think the balance is hard. It's always hard. Um, I think that being a working mom has made me not only a better worker, um, but perhaps even a better mom. Um, you know, motherhood, you know, best teaches you patience and empathy and compassion and resilience. And, but it's also, it, it helps you focus, right? So, um, my days are, Le- sh- my hours are shorter than they were before I had a kid when I didn't have a stopping point. Yeah. You just when I didn't go, have go, a go. daycare pickup. Um, but probably my quality of work has improved and the way I delegate has hopefully improved. And, um, that, you know, you just kind of become like almost more results oriented. Um, so it's a, it's definitely a balance, but I, I think it's, it's a healthy balance. Um, and, I've learned to set boundaries. I never knew how to set boundaries before mm. that. Like with and work. Yeah. And because I, I want to be with Gabe and I want to be with George and I want our family to be together. And in both of our families, meal meals are really important. So sitting around the table, having community, um, spending that time with one another is really important. And so, and that's really important for our family. And so we really prioritize that. And yeah, the travel's hard. Yeah, it I gets can't harder imagine. every single trip. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'm also fulfilled by it, right? So I am fulfilled when I this past summer I was in South Africa training some of our athletes to be health advocates, and then I was spending some time in the field with our team in Senegal, and I left so inspired and so proud of what our teams were doing on the ground and the opportunities that I had and also equally missing Gabe like crazy and like, can this plane get back here fast enough? Um, so, you know, I think, I think some of it is definitely setting those boundaries and having George is a, such a supportive partner and he values my career equally to his. And so, that has really helped. And so we try to just navigate it. You know, there's also the village. It's, it's real. Having a village is so critical. I mean, we have our, our girlfriends of our supper club village. Um, Gabe is the first grandbaby on both of our sides. So he might be the most loved child (laughs) of all time. So we have been fortunate in a few situations where we've we've both just really had to travel that we've had, um, grandparents support. So we're really, really blessed to have that. Okay. I want to hear about the community aspect that you were talking about, because I've seen just from being friends with you, even though I haven't been a part of it, how well you guys do community in your neighborhood. Oh, our neighborhood community. It's the best. So we have this amazing couple that live next door to us, um, Kim and Janae. And then we have, so George's best friend from college 
and um, his partner live behind us. And then we have another friend of ours that's about a block. We have another two friends that's about a block away. So we have this little, like we call it our chosen family group. And um, there are two babies in the group, Gabe and our, and our friend's daughter, Katie. And we, there's pretty regular rotation of meals and just come over. We, we recently, a couple years ago, George and I did a, a renovation on our house and we had to build a new gate, a new fence around our house. And when we built the fence, we, we built a, a door between our, our house and our next door neighbors, Kim and Janae. And so, you know, good food, good, um, good wine, good drinks and good company. It's there's, you can't beat it. And so just having that community has been amazing for us. Do you guys have like a regular rotation or do you just kind of figure it out as you go? Yeah, it's kind of figure it out as you go. Like somebody will send out a text, like family dinner at my house on Sunday. Just anybody who can make it. Yeah. Yeah. I and so that. it's, it's great. Or you just pop over and like, I'm coming, stopping by for a cup of coffee and family dinner, family dinner. Right. It. And it's you family. know, Janae, our next door neighbor, she is no BGUIN in town. And she actually was in Gabe's birth, even though she wasn't your doctor. No, she wasn't our doctor. And I was in labor for a long time with Gabe, um, many days. And Jeez. she got off. She was in clinic that day or like day three or something. She was in clinic and gotten off. So she reached out to George and he's like, we're still here. And so things started progressing kind of when she got there. And we ended up having to make one decision um, around the delivery um, that was a scary one to decide what to do and having her there and her professional opinion was really helpful. And then she was there when, um, when Gabe came and it was so amazing Mm, and it just felt right because she's kind of, she's our chosen family. Yeah. So when you made that decision, can you say what, what, what was going on? Yeah. So, um, Gabe was kind of stuck in my birth canal. Yeah. And so, um, I had gone into labor on Tuesday night and then by Friday, Friday, he was not there yet. <laughs> Did you hear that, everybody? Tuesday, Friday. Yeah. So, so the doctor came in and said, "Did you go home at all?" No, I was there. Can't remember. No, I was in the hospital the whole Wednesday, time. Thursday, yeah. Fr- oh mm-hmm. my god. Yeah, it was a long time. And actually, we had told my parents, so they drove from DC. Yeah. And they sort of thought we'll get there and the baby will already be born. And then they spend another night before the baby is born. And, and I think that the grandparents are getting a little bit nervous because they hadn't heard from us in a while. And yeah, so they, they said, you know, we have, you have three options. One, you can keep pushing, which isn't yielding success at this point. Two, you can, we can try a vacuum, which has a 70% success rate. And then, or three, we can take you to C-section. And at this point, of course, I'm exhausted and I have no idea. And I'm emotional. I've got all the hormones. You haven't slept in days. I haven't slept in days. And so, you know, I said said to the doctor who we share the same doctor, of course. She's She's amazing. amazing. And, you know, what's your professional opinion? And she said, you know, I'd like to try with a vacuum. And so then she, she looked to Janae and said, I love that Dr. Hughes was like, so open to hearing what Janae's professional opinion was. Absolutely. Even though she was there as a friend. Yes. And Janae agreed. And so I said, okay, I trust you guys. Mm. So, um, yeah. So we, the vacuum worked. So we vacuumed Gabe into the world. uh, So apparently (laughs) there is a three pop off rule with the vacuum. If it pops off three times, they move you to C-section. So it had popped off twice apparently. 
And so I just remember Janae looked at me. She's like, you, and I guess Gabe was halfway out. I, I don't know at that <laughs> point. And she looked at me and she's like, you need to push really hard one more time. And then she just pushed my legs back and here just he was. Go. Yeah. Go. Oh, you will never forget that she was there. Yeah. That's so cool. And she has really beautiful pictures of George, who is also not, um, doesn't, doesn't express his emotions <laughs> all that often. Um, and so it was really special. Ah, oh, that's so cool. I love, I think that, you know, the thing about community and creating what you guys have created, like people think, oh, Kristen, you're so fortunate to have that situation. But one thing I've realized is you have to be intentional about it. You know, you could let these things like roll off because you're so busy. You travel all the time. You want to just be with Gabe because he's in daycare all week and you want to see him. So friends could invite you over and you could say, "Eh, we're just going to like kick back and relax tonight. And sometimes you do. But I think you do a good job being intentional and pursuing those things. Thanks. Yeah, you're right. It is an intentional. It is definitely intentional to build those relationships and to make that time. And, you know, I think... George is so good about being intentional about it that that helps me a lot. And I always want to encourage people because sometimes I feel like I hear people talk about this kind of thing on other podcasts. And when we talk about it, like you can be the one to pursue this, you know, because sometimes when I talk about our supper club that we do, when we have these, there's four families and we all get together. I sometimes picture a listener listening and thinking, well, that must be nice. Like, I wish I had friends like that, but it's like, well, you know, someone had to put this together and Mm -hmm. pursue making it happen. And who says that can't be you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because I wanted this group of people that we have, I wanted to do something like this for so long, but had our friend Emily not put us all together in this group, it wouldn't have happened. No, definitely not. Yeah, she took that initiative. Yeah. But then we've all made those intentional choices going forward. To keep it up. Yeah, to keep it up and to devote that time and to be together. Yeah, and just putting yourself out there is so important. I remember um, when I was having some pretty significant postpartum anxiety after having Sandy, you were like, we we were all four of us going to get together for just like a couple glasses of wine or something. And I was trying to bail out and you were like, I know you don't want to come, but like you're going to, I usually feel better if I just make myself be around people. And it was, it's true. Yeah. And those people that you trust and that you can just be who you are with them. Yeah. All right. So you recently, uh, just experienced watching George complete his first marathon. What was that like to watch him train and, and be the cheerleader? So George is the kind of person that, when he puts his mind to something, he's going to do it and excel at it. That's that's definitely who he is. I would say I'm kind of like mediocre at everything, and George is pretty great at everything. Except for <laughs> your job. I wouldn't say you're <laughs> mediocre at that and being a mom. Oh, I don't know. Being a mom. Thank goodness I have you guys to tell me how to mom. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, don't take advice from me. I'm a hot mess. <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, George, he really, his training was really important to him, and he devoted a lot of time to it. I will admit that I was really happy to have our family Saturday mornings back when those long runs were done. But Gabe and I would try, I try to take Gabe out in the stroll, run on on the stroller so that we could catch George on, um, you know, part of his run or see him along the way. 
um, he, he, he ran the Marine Corps Marathon in DC, which was super fun because, you know, that's my city and his dad ran it and his sister ran it. I love that. Yeah. It was awesome. I love that his dad and sister were out there. Yeah. Yes. It was a family affair and Gabe and I cruised all over the city to see them and see George and, it was definitely, I know that it was really, ha- George is really happy to see Gabe along the oh. course. Oh yeah. It's like, for some reason when you're running a marathon, when you see your kids on the course, you just, well, George probably didn't, but like, it makes me cry. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm sure that for me, it would have made me cry too. Well, so he, so knowing George's personality is like, well, I, you know, this is on my bucket list. I want to run a marathon. And I think this is a good point to let you know that I don't have that on my bucket list. A half marathon is my max distance. And you've done several. I have. I've done six of them. So, and I really like, actually, my favorite distance is 10 mile. Mm. I love that distance. What 10 milers have you done? Like the the cherry blossom? Cherry that? blossom and the army 10 milers. Okay. So I've done both of those a number of times okay. when I lived in DC. That is a great distance. It is. It's, it's a great distance. So where you don't feel like training's taking over your life, you can kind of run it You could fast. run up to like seven miles and technically yeah. be trained up. Yeah, exactly. So, well, so George is like, this is on my bucket list. I'm going to have to do this. And just knowing George, I'm like, I bet you he's going to get to that finish line. He's going to be like, oh, that was exhilarating. And I'm going to need to do it again. So he definitely had that feeling. However, I think it was around mile 16, he pulled something like, I can't remember. Was it, was it something in his hamstring? So he was running awesome timing. And then once he did that, he had to slow down. Mm. And so when he got to the finish line, his not, I think, I think he certainly felt exhilarated by this amazing accomplishment, but was also like, I know I can do better and I'm going to do better. Yeah. Because he was physically prepared and he couldn't help what he did, what happened. Exactly. I know. So, and it's like, he knew, he knew he was going to get to the finish line, but like all that time that was eaten up because he couldn't do anything about what he had pulled. Exactly. It's frustrating. So is he going again? He is. I don't know. He hasn't signed up for one yet that I know of. You're going to try to have him put it off as long as possible. <laughs> so my, one of my brothers is a really good runner as well. My brother, Andrew. I met him in New York city on yes. my live show. Yes. He loved he it. He lives in the city, right? He does live in the city yeah. and he has run a couple of marathons. So has his wife and they are doing the Berlin marathon. Oh, we've talked about this. So George has kind of, oh, we, I think George missed the registration for it. So I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but that was, he was like, Oh, I wonder if we could do, if I could do that one. And I'm like, I will cheer you on and drink beer. On I will go to Berlin. Right. I, I have to tell you when your brother, we've talked about this, but when your brother came to the live show and I knew he was coming, you were like, you will not, not recognize him and his wife. Cause they will be the tallest people there. <laughs> But he said to me, I'm Kristen Hughes' brother. Oh. And I, you are Kristen Sewer to me. Yeah. And so I just looked at him blankly. And I was also kind of like in a postpartum haze. <laughs> Sandy was two and a half months. And I'd just done the live show that I was probably a little bit nervous for. And so I just, I, I felt so dumb though, because I knew he was going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. So it was cool though, because I just got to meet your brother. Just I know that's randomly. In New York City. In New York City. That's so fun. Um, all right. So I think this is a good point though, because people probably think I interview marathoners over and over and over again. So I think it's really cool to interview someone who uh, health and fitness and working out is very important to you mm-hmm. in your life. And you balance. I, okay. People say balance is BS. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. 
it seems to me that you very well balance work, family, and then your own health. And so you run and you do Swift, which is a variation of CrossFit on a regular basis. So how do you, how does that fit into your life and what kind of priority is it to you? It's definitely a high priority. I feel so much better in a day if I had, if I've exercised. So it's, it helps me focus. It helps me um, feel better. So the way we sort of work it out, George and I, is we alternate who works out in the morning. And so, you know, just every other day is different. And then the weekends, both of us will get a workout in. And so that, that helps. Um, running just helps me clear my mind. So if I have something I'm thinking about or a proposal I'm developing or I'm giving a presentation, running is always that key to really thinking about that and having that time. And thankfully, Gabe loves being in the stroller. So... Um, we haven't been in the stroll in a while cause it's kind of been it's gross, too yeah. cold and gross. Do you have a Bob? We do. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. And so running for that. And then I, especially in the winter, I've been loving this class that, um, this organization called Naptown fitness. So they offer CrossFit classes and swift, which is, which means sweat with Indy for time. Okay. And, and by the way, just so everybody knows, I interviewed Shannon Brassavin on this podcast and she kind of founded the Swift part of the... It's awesome. I love it. It's a 45-minute class. It's definitely CrossFit light. It's it's more cardio boot campy and there's some CrossFit components to it and there's just this amazing community and it's three blocks from our house and the time is perfect for me um, in the mornings. So... Is it 6 a.m.? It's a 6.45 class. I love that time. It's like not too early, yes. but it's early enough and it's 45 minutes. It's 45 minutes. Yeah. So you can still get home by like yep. 7.45 and... Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm and usually... those days George takes Gabe to daycare. Yeah. George takes Gabe to daycare the days that I work out, but I'm usually home by like 6.35, honestly, because you just, I just run back 735. home. I'm 7.35. Yeah. yeah. Just run back home and um, shower and then I'm ready for work. And so... Yeah, so I've loved that. It's been a great cross training. I'm I feel so much stronger and more fit as a result of that. Mixing that in with my running. How many days a w- week do you think you run? I probably well, the winter is probably not the best time to ask me that question. But typically two to three days a week. Okay, and then you mix it up with Swift as well. Mm-hmm. See, that's important. If someone, my question is, if someone were to ask you, "Are you a runner?" What would you say? I would say, "Yes, I run." Good, but. Am I a runner? You know, I listened you to are. your um, your podcast interview with um, Shalane. Did I say that right? Uh-huh. And that's a runner. Well, <laughs> of course. Um, but yeah, definitely. I mean, I played sports all growing up. I played a sport in college. So running's just like part of life for yeah. me. Yeah. I mean, it's just... You're uh, a runner. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll take that, especially from you. Well, because I never want someone listening to think um, you're not a runner if you're not like a marathoner. Sure. Because, and I was just talking to our friend Emily about this, who's starting to run a little bit more. She wants to train and do interval training and like knock down a 5k time because that's just like a really, uh, time wise, that's really attainable to do. Yes. It is not always attainable to train for a marathon. It's just not. And what, what happens when you do that over and over and over again is you burn out because I don't know about you, but for me, other aspects of my life need to be their priority over marathon training sometimes. Sure. And 
the running community very much glamorizes the marathon. So I think it's really cool to talk about the half marathon and incorporating running into your everyday life and, and what you do on a regular basis, but it not owning your life. And you do that really well. Well, thanks. You're welcome. Do you want to do some end of the podcast questions? Sure. All right, Kristen, uh, what is the best, most recent book that you've read? So I'm going to give two answers to this. Good. So I'm currently reading, I'm almost done with Panchico. Okay. It is, I can't put it down. I don't know what it is. So it is a, um, historical fiction, um, based in the fifties in Japan and Korea. Okay. And it is a beautiful story. Um, it's a long book, so I'm still kind of like working my way through it. Um, and then the other book that I read over the holidays, which isn't a new book, but it was a book that had been on my list for a while, is so the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu, um, they did they they were basically interviewed for a book. They called it the Book of Joy. Mm. And they um this woman brought them into a room and sort of like gathered all the knowledge um, from them. And, you know, it's, they talk about happiness and how you find true deep joy. And they talk about, you know, happiness is kind of, can be kind of superficial and fleeting, but what is joy and how they have through their difficulties in their life um, have found renewed joy and, um, you know, how they've, they've navigated adversity to get that. So it's, it's a really poignant book. Were they interviewed on Oprah Super Soul? I don't think so. Uh, she inter- she's interviewed the Dalai Lama, I think. She probably, yeah, that sounds like an Oprah interview for, for Only sure. Oprah could interview oh, I know. the Dalai Lama. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a really, it's a beautiful, it's a really beautiful book. I haven't heard of it. It sounds good. But I, Just Mercy, I know you're reading that. Have you that. read it yet? No, but it's on my list. How have you? not read I that know book. it's on my That's list very surprising you're enjoying it it's yes because I knew that I wanted to read it because of what it's about I what I didn't realize was how well written it would be okay because I wanted to learn and I wanted to understand uh what the book was about but I didn't realize this guy is like a really good author mm. And so now I want to his name's Brian Stevenson and now I want to go back because he's been on Oprah's podcast I feel like he's been on. A- oh, I heard. I heard the one with Oprah. Oh, and by the way, not Desmond Tutu, Nelson Mandela. So it's Dalai Lama and Nelson Mandela. Sorry, I got them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But now I want to go back and listen to Brian Stevenson on Oprah's podcast once I finish the book because I I listened to his interview with her before I read the book and now I want to listen back and and hear all the details. So. Yeah. Uh, okay. What is one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Oh, this is a hard question. So I think that for so long in my life, I've always known like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And I am definitely in a season of life where I'm just embracing what's in the moment. Good. Two funny things that I, I don't know if I'll ever accomplish them, but that I've always had an interest in is, so I have always had this dream that I would open a bakery one day. I don't know if that's will ever happen. That is certainly not on the short term um, list of things to do. And then the other one is um, to get certified as a midwife. Really? Yeah. You know, I think some of it is through the work that I have done, particularly in some developing countries. I have seen children that have different disabilities that are 
a lot related to birth trauma Mm -hmm. and not having access to care. And so I've always kind of wanted to understand that more. Um, So I don't know if it's on the, and you know, there's something beautiful about birth and bringing new life into the world. And so it's always been something of interest of mine. Interesting. I don't know if I'll ever accomplish either of those. I would have never guessed either of those (laughs) things. They're very fun though. Those are good, fun answers. I can just picture you delivering babies in, you can. in like other countries. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's an accomplishment you're most proud of? Oh, my first thought is really to say Gabe. I don't know if you can call your child an accomplishment. I think most parents usually that, feel that way. I just, he is so, brings so much joy. Um, and I think, yeah, there, there's just, there's something about that. I mean, I think from a, maybe a professional standpoint, um, I'm really proud of a partnership that Special Olympics has with an organization called Catholic Relief Services. And we together have um, been working in the slums of Nairobi. And Catholic Relief Services had kind of like an early childhood development center there, um, which they had never included people with disabilities. And so as a result of the work that I've done on this, it is now an inclusive center and we've trained community health workers to reach out to families and to provide them support. And, um, I was there a couple of years ago and met this beautiful child, Quinn, and his mother said that before this center was inclusive, he was always home with her and she runs... She runs the storefront in their in their community, and um, she would have to sort of work out childcare during the day. And he wasn't accepted by other children. And the doctor said that um, he would never walk or talk. Well, I'm here to tell you that he's running. Wow! And that he has all these friends in his community as a result of it. So I'm just really proud of of that work that we've done there. Do you get pictures and updates from stories like that and experiences you've been able to see firsthand? Yes. That's so cool. It is. It's great. If you could have coffee or cocktail with someone fun, motivating, or inspiring, who would it be? I'm going to go with fun, and I would love to have a cocktail with Trevor Noah. Yes. I just think he is he hilarious. He was just here. He was, and I'm so mad I missed it. Yeah. I didn't even know he was coming, but I read his book, and I mean, his background's so interesting, and I just think he is hysterical. Remind everybody what his book's called. Oh, boy. It is called, I actually don't remember. I'm I know. I'm going to have to look it up. I know it, It's too. sitting on my nightstand, too. I know. I'm going to look it up right now. Hold on. Really quick. Born a crime. Born a crime. That's right. It's born a crime. So there was this funny clip of the Daily Show going to his grandmother's house in South Africa. And if you haven't watched it, it's hysterical. And she doesn't, she's like, what is the Daily Show? And she's talking about him as a kid. And it is so funny. So, but is the book Born a Crime? Um, I know that there's a lot of like political things mm-hmm. in the book and, and whatnot. But is it funny too, or does he take the comedy? Oh yeah, out? it's definitely funny. Yeah, it's okay. so it goes into the history of apartheid okay. in South Africa okay. and and why he was born a crime. Yeah, or why that's the title was of the a book. crime. Yeah, mm-hmm. but he also sprinkles in his. Oh, it's his it's also hilarious. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, that yeah. makes me even yeah. more excited to watch. It's a really good it, book to read it because like I want to learn about that as well. But anytime something has some humor in it, I'm in. I'm sold. All right, here's the big one. What is one message you'd like to send to the world? Wow, that's a big one. I think the 
the message I'd like to send to the world is think about how you can make your corner of the world, whatever that may be, better. And what can you and how can you do that through showing compassion? And I think, you know, in in my work now, there's a lot of thinking, what is it like to be in somebody else's shoes? So how can you help better the world by thinking about what it's like to be in someone else's shoes? But maybe also not just being in somebody else's shoes, but not knowing the shoes that they're wearing. You know, somebody might be having a bad day for reasons that you just don't know. And so what can you do to, to kind of spread that, that compassion around you? All right, let's go live that. Thank you so much, Kristen. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thank you, Kristen, for coming on the show and sharing your story. I hope, and I know that everybody listening will love you just as much as I love you because it's just impossible not to. You guys can follow me on Instagram. Connect with me there. I love connecting with listeners over on Instagram, lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter at Lindsay Hine, and you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine where we have a group over there as well. If you heard me ask this at the beginning of the show and said, oh, I'll do it later. Here, I'll ask you again. <laughs> if you haven't already done so, head over to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen and leave a rating and review on the podcast. That's one of the best ways we can spread the word about that show, which is what I'm truly passionate about getting these inspiring stories and hopefully heartwarming conversations in the ears of more runners, non-runners, whoever you are out there listening. All right. Well, I hope you had a wonderful Friday. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Have a great rest of the weekend. And as always, I'll see you next Friday.